everybody to the first ever episode of The Captain Spot. I am your host, Justin Freeman, six foot one inches, 289 pounds of fantasy knowledge. And I couldn't be more excited to be here. I appreciate you guys joining me on this ride as we get started on this podcast. Man, I've brought on the heavy hitters, some of the best and brightest in this business to talk NFL Showdown. That's what we're doing here. A podcast, a YouTube channel completely dedicated to Showdown content. And I'm the guy that's going to lead you there. So guys, please welcome Mr. Brian Jester co-founder of Occupy Fantasy. He's going to be our first guest. This is a guy with major GPP experience in DFS Showdown. He's a millionaire maker winner. He won a Super Bowl contest playing Showdown. So who better to teach us? Who better to take us out on our maiden voyage than Mr. Brian Jester? So without further ado, guys, you don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from the guys who know. Let's talk to Brian. As promised, we're bringing you the heavy hitters here in Showdown NFL DFS. What better place to start with a millionaire maker himself, Brian Jester. Brian is the head man over at Occupy Fantasy. And Brian, welcome. And before we hop into this showdown stuff, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, you know, your journey through DFS and, and where you are now at Occupy. Yeah, what's up, Justin? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So uh, I'll try to be brief here. But, uh, you know, as, as recent as four or five years ago, I was doing just some contract writing about DFS and season-long fantasy for sites like Bleacher Report, Number Fire. And then three years ago, I decided to branch out on my own because I've seen a lot of missing pieces in the DFS industry. You know, I've been playing DFS now for, you know, six or seven years. And even to this day, I, I still don't see dedicated content to helping the casual player navigate the DFS lobbies navigate bankroll management at a very intimate level, navigate contest selection, uh, and then really talk about, especially for casual players, and even we have a lot of experienced players over at Occupy Fantasy too, how to navigate lineup construction theories. And so that, that's where I wanted to start, and I, I felt I could bring something that's missing to the industry. Uh, and then had my, my bank moment back in uh, 2018, I actually, I made a conscious decision at the end of 2018 and because I want to do this full-time, I want always wanted to do this full-time. And I said, if I want to make serious money playing DFS, uh, give myself uh, a bankroll to, to, to leave my day job, to confidently start Occupy Fantasy and do that full-time, I need to learn 150 maxing. Like that's the only way. I, I have been a profitable player four to five years and a great supplementary income but nothing I could leave my day job for. And I said, well, I need to learn how to win the biggest prizes and the easiest way to do it, not the easiest way, but the most efficient way to do that is 150 maxing. Um, and then literally like a month after I made that decision, I hit the Super Bowl million uh, in the single game showdown. So uh, that worked out instantly. And now um, that's so where we are. This was Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. Is that right? This was Patriots Rams Super Bowl. Patriots Rams Super Bowl. Okay, yep. cool. And so walk me through that moment. Most of us haven't ever uh, had a real sweat going for a million bucks, but you have. So walk us through that night and and what you're seeing, what's going on. You're at a Super Bowl party, possibly surrounded by friends. How, how does that all work? Uh, you, you couldn't have wrote a movie script any better. I was actually in Las Vegas with friends and family. Uh, we go out there every year for the Super Bowl. And so we were out there sweating the Super Bowl at a Super Bowl party. Um, again, surrounded by my friends and family. And I actually had the lead with six minutes left in the game. And in showdown, that's an eternity. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much never want to count anything with six minutes left. But I just remember thinking as each play went on, as each play finished, as the ball was turned over, I'm thinking to myself, like, my life could literally change if I can just hold on to this first place. And you've got 150 going in this contest? I did. This, honestly, it was like the sixth or seventh time I'd ever 150 maxed. Uh -huh. um, See, so yeah, I had 150 going. My lineup was in first, was unique, which we'll talk about later. And uh, the game ends. They missed a field goal. I finished in first place. And it was just, you know, not just pure happiness that I just won a million dollars. Obviously, that was great, too. But all the hard work had finally paid off uh, to be able to celebrate that with my friends and family. Uh, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better situation. So, so like bottle service that night is what that what we're talking about? It was, uh, dude, it was the lamest <laughs> celebration. I honestly, I was, 
I, from the high of being up there, I just crashed after the party and I went to bed at like 10 or 11 o'clock. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, dude, it was, it was not, it was not worthy of any. Discussion. Oh, what a letdown. What a letdown. But uh, I'm sure you've, uh, you've spent that million dollars well since then or, or put it up and invested it smartly. So, well, congratulations, man. That, I know that's, that's awesome thing to have happen. I imagine if I had to press you on uh, whether or not that's a realistic expectation for people and, and you know, you have your own site and you're, you know, you're preaching bankroll management and you're preaching things like uh, contest selection. That's a pretty, uh, you know, um, unlikely uh, scenario to have happen, correct? I think that's a fair word to use. Unlikely. Yeah. And especially the way the millionaire contests are structured. It's, it's the biggest bankroll burner for every single player. So um, yeah, to go in to, to, to listen to whatever we're about to talk about and think, well, now I'm going to go win a million dollars in showdown. I mean, probably a once in a lifetime occurrence, but that's not to say you can't make good money from showdown or DFS. Um, let's just, you know, let's temper our expectations a bit. And ever since that moment, are you continuing to play 150 in the showdown lobbies or whatever max you can get down? Yeah, for sure. So I'm still very selective. Uh, I was selective before the million dollar hit, but now I'm, I'm just selective in the 150 game. Uh, I'm only playing the contests with the highest potential ROIs. So I'm looking at the $10 entries with 100K or t $10, 150 max with 100K up top or something along those lines. Um, very, very selective. Um, I'm still playing satellites. Satellites were a big uh, helper in getting me to the 150 entries in the million dollar winner. I'm still playing those, obviously just higher buy-in now. Um, and I, to this day, I still don't play low-risk contests, cash games. It doesn't fit the way I think about DFS. Um, and I know where my edge is, so I'm not going to go try to play in the, the 5K head-to-heads or the, the 10K 20-man. Like, this is not going to happen for me, so I, I stick to, to where my edge is. That's a good point. And, and for those of you who have, like, a, a poker background, have you, if you've ever, like, gotten knocked out of, of a tournament, like a, a – um, very top heavy tournament and then you're like ah dang I, I don't really want to go to bed just yet let me go hit the cash lobby and sit down for a minute <laughs> like it takes 30 minutes for your mind to adjust to the new format like you don't want to shove every third hand anymore like there's a there's a different strategy so I would say that's a great piece of advice too is like making sure that you do understand what are you good at what are your strengths like what what makes sense in your mind? And for some people, they're like really well suited for optimal lineups and cash games. Oh, yeah. And for some people, they're tournament players. So, you know, don't try to force yourself into something that you're not. But let's dive into the, the showdown contest format. Um, obviously, you're still playing with a lot of volume there. You know, walk me through your thought process once uh, a new slate's posted to the lobby. Um, are you looking specifically at DraftKings or playing FanDuel too? Yeah, I will primarily look at DraftKings first. Uh, the showdown format is just better. It plays better for uniqueness and uh, high-risk contests. Uh, but started gathering data on FanDuel as recently as last year. And because they don't have the CSV download capability, there's not a lot of data out there about FanDuel showdown. So I figured let's collect it myself and see where that takes us. And I uh, found some pretty good edges there too. So I started playing that more frequently last year. But uh, I do think DraftKings has a superior showdown product. Yeah, and so once that slate comes out, uh, you know, obviously contests are going to start populating the lobby there. Which contests are, are catching your eye? Obviously, we've talked about MME, but are you doing any uh, single entry or cash? Very, very rarely. I, you know, maybe once or twice per season, I'll look and, you know, I do a, 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 an article for each showdown slate at Occupy Fantasy and I'm thinking, wow, this is a really good low risk night for people that like you can really fit in some high floor players. And then my mind will wonder and I'll say, damn, maybe I should play some cash contest tonight because I've written about this. It looks so good. And then inevitably it goes poorly every single time. So um, I know to limit myself to one or two cash slates per year. Most of the time it is just those those uh, low dollar 150 max uh, upper five figures six figure first place payouts gotcha yeah and and that's like just a big principle takeaway from showdown in general right is like it's an extremely volatile game like it's yeah. and doing the 150 max mme stuff allows you to capture a lot more of those potential alternatives um now grant uh, we'll talk a little bit about uniqueness here in a little bit and, and how that plays into it because, you know, a lot of times we'll see very, very many overlapping lineups. But um, do you play heavier or smaller intentionally based on your confidence on the slate? I know you said you sit some out completely. Yeah, and it's the most – most of the time when I'm sitting out completely, it's on FanDuel. Um, almost always 
uh, I'll eventually convince myself there's an edge on DraftKings. And so I'll play the slate. Uh, but there are some slates on FanDuel where it's like, wow, it's just so chalky. Um, or there's no value plays I can play. Lineups aren't working how I need to. And okay, I'll just sit out the slate on FanDuel. But most of the time, I'll end up playing DraftKings. Yeah. And um, when you pull up that list of players and salaries, uh, where do you go from there? How do you determine whether it's, you know, looks like a chalky slate or, um, you know, what's just sort of your general approach at that point? And this sounds simple, but I'll just bring up the lineup screen and start hand building lineups to see what combinations are possible. All right. If I use this captain, what does the rest of my lineup look like? Okay. This guy's projected really well by everyone in the industry. If I use him, where can I get different? And then I just kind of think to myself, how is the field going to build a lineup? If they do this, what's a majority of, what is a majority of people going to do next? And that's on both FanDuel and DraftKings. And then I see, okay, I know how the field's going to approach it. Now I can start thinking about where I can get different. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about projections then, because obviously you can get a pretty good, uh, you know, you can get pretty good quality projections from most anywhere these days. There's lots of places that are putting out really quality stuff on projections, but in the context of a single game, uh, do projections have any value to you whatsoever? So, I mean, this, this could be a controversial, controversial statement. I don't know. Uh, I'm of the belief in DFS that projections really don't matter. And player projections don't matter as nearly as much as most people think about it. Like you said, you can go to anywhere these days. You can go to ESPN. You can go to Numberball. You can go to Occupy Fantasy. You can go to Action Network, wherever it may be. And you can get pretty close projections, right? At, at this day in 2020, most people can come up with pretty accurate projections. So for me, it's really just finding, okay, let's get some set of projections. I don't care whose it is really. Let's find the projections. But then let's think about two things. Let's think about projected ownership. Who, based on their salaries, based on these projections, what are most people thinking is the, the optimal place? Uh, and then two ranges of outcomes. The most, number one, most important thing. Okay, this player is projected for 12 points, but does that mean he scores between eight and 12 most, most of the time? Or do they score between two and 20 most of the time? Um, I don't even think I did that math right, but you get what I'm saying. So that, that's really the two things I look at. Just find projections and you'll, you'll, you'll be good enough to, to figure out the rest. Yeah, and do you feel like the, the sort of average Joe, the, the cannon fodder that is filling up the, you know, the lobby to get all those entries in these large tournaments, are, are they leaning too heavily on projections? Is that something you're seeing? Like you're seeing a lot of you know, really chalky lineups and not a ton of contrarian thinking, or you'll see like the one you know, super low-priced guy who has a real bump in expectation because somebody got hurt or something like that. And you just, you're like, well, everybody's going to be on this guy. There's not going to be a lineup that doesn't have him in it. And you're, you're seeing opportunities for leverage. Right. And, and, and again, this is a big issue with cash games nowadays too. Like they're very hard in all sports. Well, at least most major sports um, on classic slates and, and, and showdown because there is such a, an easy access to projections. Your average player now compared to seven years ago or 10 years ago when DFS first started, very different level of access now. So the average player can create a pretty reasonably high floor, high expectation cash lineup just based on because all these projections are easy to find. Um, but where the issue lies and where most people um, go astray is they get to thinking in absolutes. Okay, this guy is projected for 15 points. And let's, this is a very, just very specific example. Tyreek is projected for 15 points. Sammy Watkins is projected for 12 points. Now in most people's minds, Tyreek is outscoring Sammy 100% of the time. When we all know that's not true, but when you're building lineups and you could use Tyreek or Sammy, 90 to 95% of casual players are just going to use Tyree because he's more expensive and it fits their lineup and he's projected for more. When in reality, there's definitely ranges of outcomes where Sammy outscores him. That makes so much sense. Um, and are you also playing Sunday main slate as well when you're, you know, when you're grinding these showdowns or are you focusing just on the showdown part? Uh, actually, I, I don't play the showdowns on um, on Sunday afternoon. I don't want to sound, uh, you know, like some rich guy. Like, the, the prize pools to me just aren't worth it. Right? The, the, eh, Fifty thousand. <laughs> the time, yeah, the, the time investment isn't. You know, the prizes are much bigger on the main slate, so I'll put my effort in there. Whereas the Thursday night, Sunday night, uh, Monday night, the really island have games. big contests. Yeah, the island games, and you get more casual players that way. Uh, I'm way more inclined to play those. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you're building out these MME runs, like 
Talk me through your decision-making process at that point. Are you using optimizers? Are you doing a lot of this by hand? I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it must be to build 150 <laughs> by hand. So I imagine you're using some help, but um, and we're hearing a lot about avoiding duplicates. Like obviously we're, we're trying to get number one and showdown is a game that is, you know, there's only so many viable combinations there. So there's naturally going to be a lot of overlap with other lineups and you don't want to be chopping, you know, a hundred K first prize with, another person, um, especially if you're a high volume player. So walk me through that, the construction part of that and the things that you're considering and the tools you're using. For sure. So if you're just the average player and you're entering one lineup, you'll gladly split hundred K two ways. Right. Yeah. But we're also saying that if you're playing just one lineup, you probably shouldn't be playing the big GPP because me and Colin drew and all these other big showdown players have 150 lineups and the odds are stacked against you. But for us, let's say me playing 150 lineups, that's an absolute disaster if I'm splitting it 20 ways. And with that said, uniqueness is my number one goal. And, and I don't just mean uniqueness in you know two or three ties. I mean, literally no other person has this lineup. And all my research goes into that. When the slate starts, I break down who had the most unique lineups in the entire field, where do my uniqueness rank? how many of my lineups were duplicated five or less times? What were the most duplicated lineups in the entire field, right? And just so I can get a sense of where I sit, because there's been times where I'll, I'll put 150 lineups in and I'll see I'm like 25th out of the 150 maxers in uniqueness. And I'm like, well, I'm not even gonna watch this game because I feel like I lost already. Mm -hmm. So um, Occupy Fantasy, we have a partnership with DFS Magic. It's a, it's a lineup builder that I helped create. And, uh, you know, really the thing is if you can get an optimizer, a lineup builder to help you build 150 lineups, that's available pretty widely. But a lot of the burdens are on the users sure. for those lineups. And, you know, the reason I helped build one is because I think about things so differently. It's like I want to be able to build lineups how I want to build them. So uh, not to make a, a sales pitch for that, but. Well, it's tough to find tools that allow you to build really creative showdown lineups with a lot of rules that make sense to you. There, there's obviously groupings and things like that, but you can end up essentially have to rerun an optimizer uh, multiple times on end in order to be able to get the, the actual final outcome of 150 that you like. Right. And not to mention, even with that, even with the best optimizer out there, a lot of times you still have to go in and hand tweak some of these lineups afterwards. It's not just as easy as the, the, the mentions on Twitter make it seem, give me 150 lineups, I'll win, right? Yeah. You have to really <laughs> hand, hand tweak a lot of these lineups. And, um, you know, for instance, the Super Bowl millionaire, out of 150 lineups, 350,000 entries, 62% of my lineups were unique. No other person had that lineup. Then this is two years ago when Showdown still wasn't as big. Um, and it's a little bit hard to get 60% unique lineups on a Showdown slate now. But if I get into that 30 or 35% range, I'm really happy with my process. Yeah, for sure. How many people do you see 150 maxing these large contests? You'll see anywhere, depending on the slate, 20 to 50, somewhere in that range. Um, obviously, if we get like a, the opening night Thursday Millionaire Maker, I'm sure we'll see way more than that. But um, you, you see a lot of familiar faces and it's not as many as you would be, you, you would believe. Now, I hear resistance from people who say 15% rake, like the the prospects of making money over this long term have got to be like astronomically small. It's got to be just terrible contest selection. So how do you beat rake um, and, and also maintain profitability? I mean, we're talking about potentially months at a time without, you know, extremely profitable slates enough that'll dig you out of your, your really bad nights. Correct. Dude, if I, yeah, the, the lows are really low, right? Um, I've, I've come, and just my mindset, I've come to be able to be okay with these long losing streaks. Um, and as long as I'm monitoring my, my, the metrics I look at every single week, every single slate, and as long as I'm beating my thresholds there, I'm okay. So I'm looking at my unique percentage. And then, you know, if I get in the top 0.1%, it's really a ball bounce one way or the other, whether or not I finish first or not. So looking at top 0.1% finishes. So uh, if we use it in a concrete example from last season, last NFL season, I played 64 NFL showdown slates. Four out of the 64, I finished in the top 0.1% with a unique lineup. Now, there was uh, a half point away from 350K. There was a, another 0.2 points away from 150K. And because I didn't get those half points, I ended up with a losing season in showdown. But my uniqueness was great. My top 0.1% uh, 
finishes were great. One out of every 16 slates, a top 0.1% finish. I know over the long haul, I'm going to be profitable doing that, even though it looks like I've lost and I have, you know, 20, 25, 30 slates in a row. That's going to happen at high risk. So for people who aren't 150 maxing, right, you really, you can't be playing these, these large contests. The number, the number one contest that people should be playing and no one, I, I really don't see anyone talk about this, but if you're a casual player listening to this, on FanDuel, they're called 100 player leagues. On DraftKings, they're literally just called contests. It's like $3 contest, $9 contest. They have the best ROIs possible for you and you can enter the maximum number. It's only three max or five max, whatever it is. So if you're thinking about, you know, I don't want to lose that much to start playing those contests and building your bankroll that way. I mean, that is the number one piece of advice I can give, not just for DFS, but for showdown too. Yeah, we preach that at number ball as well. Like keep your contest sizes at a hundred or less if you can help it. Like that's just how you can grow your bankroll. Now, I'm as guilty as anybody when you see the million maker rollouts oh, to the yeah. lobby, you're like, eh, man, we gotta <laughs> we gotta click the button and get one out there. You can't you can't sit on the sideline for this. But I mean, just understand the fact that you are I, mean, I hate to say you're not going to win, but you're not going to win. That's, that's, it's just overwhelmingly uh, unlikely that you, that you win. And I, I understand the, the allure of a lottery ticket, but uh, you know, if, if, if you're just entering one into 150 max contest, you're, you're drawing dead already. But I mean, just, just think about it. Like, okay, this, let's say there's a hundred thousand people in a contest. I enter one lineup. I have a one in 100,000 chance. That already seems insane to, to be able to think I can beat 99,999 people. Now add in the fact that there are professionals who do this for a living, having 150 times more lineups than I do, 150 more swings at top prize, and there are 50 of them doing it. Like it's pure insanity to think that you can beat that. So you really got, if, if you can't enter the maximum amount of lineups in a contest, you really shouldn't be playing it. For sure. I, that's a good rule in general. If you can't max enter, then you shouldn't enter the contest. I think that's that's a great rule for bankroll management in general. Uh, find you a single entry lobby out there somewhere and, and, and enter one in that if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you ever consider, you know, taking extreme strategies, uh, you know, possibly as a way for differentiation like uh, you know, I really love Raheem Mostert in this game, and I'm going to lock him into the captain. I'm going to build 150 variations off of that. Or I really like, you know, the Jags defense this week, and there's no way, you know, I want just to be all in on this. Is, is there ever a situation that you're actually lock buttoning in your 150 builds? Normally, no. And I understand the the concept there. And I, you know, I, I do know some very profitable showdown players who do that. And I get it. You want to take a stand. If that guy hits, you really want to have 150 chances or however many lineups you have um, at getting the, the optimal, right? And I certainly get that. On DraftKings, I won't do it just because I'm mostly trying to get as many uniques as possible. And I don't think that's the best way to do that. On FanDuel, there will be chances and scenarios where I'll do that in my captain spot. And like 99% of the time, it's when Lamar Jackson's on the slate. And I'll just, because you're not going to fade him in captain. So just put him 100% MVP and just try to get unique elsewhere. Yeah, and that's an important part that we'll talk about a little bit later. The difference between the captain spot on DraftKings. Matter of fact, let's talk about it right now. The difference between the captain spot on DraftKings and the MVP spot on FanDuel, obviously there's no salary differentiation on the FanDuel side. So you're there's basically no incentive other than uniqueness for not playing the person who you think is going to do uh, the best, you know, relative to salary right there in that spot. Um, so walk me through your thought process, you know, how I build a DraftKings lineup, how I build a a FanDuel lineup. Sure. Yeah, no, all really good points, especially on FanDuel. And I'll start there. Um, You know, in addition to the lack of a salary multiplier, the the half point PPR scoring affects it too. On DraftKings, you can get a guy, um, I don't know, maybe Julian Edelman wins you a million dollars and gets a bunch of catches. I don't know. I've I've heard that's happened to someone. So maybe, (laughs) so you rack up a bunch of catches and then you can all of a sudden become an optimal captain. You get the hundred yard bonus, right? A lot easier over on DraftKings. Um, and then not to mention when you have the salary included, you can fit more uh, high dollar players in your flex spots if you use a cheaper high upside captain. So on Fayetteville, what I'm looking at, okay, what are the likelihood that these quarterbacks are going to be the highest scores? Who could possibly overtake them in a touchdown heavy scoring system? What happens? Okay. I, I'll pick normally FanDuel. I'll use both quarterbacks and maybe one or two other guys who I think can outscore them. If I use the quarterbacks, okay, who are some cheap guys I can use that help save salary? Who are some under-owned guys? It's really all about salary usage once you get the quarterbacks in the MVP spot. Once you get 
uh, running backs or receivers to MVP on FanDuel, salary come, becomes a lot less important for uniqueness. Now, in DraftKings, very rarely will I ever use a quarterback. Although the field got sharper last year as far as quarterback usage in the captain spot, it's still 10 to 15% most slates for each player. And then we see Lamar and Patrick Mahomes approach 30% or more uh, roster percentages at captain and showdown. Um, and even then, I just won't use them. I can find higher upside guys, uh, more unique lineups by not using those players. Um, the only time I'll use a quarterback captain is if the quarterback really sucks and he's like 4% projected ownership captain. I was like, well, I have some leverage here. And then inevitably every single time they suck and it never works out. But that's, that's how you have to think. Of it. You just have to think about what they're capable of doing versus what their projected ownership is. Yeah, and a lot of times for the quarterback position specifically, like if the quarterback has a really good game, especially on DraftKings, it's uh, the wide receivers or some, some pass catcher on his team is like very likely to have a game in excess of the quarterback's score. You know, if, if that wide receiver gets there on a great game by the quarterback, by also eclipsing a hundred yards and has at least one touchdown, then it's very, very possible that they do outscore the quarterback on that. Um, just to give the, the viewers here a little bit of synopsis. I was just sort of researching this. I'll pull it up real quick. Um, quarterbacks on DraftKings uh, in the winning lineup, uh, quarterbacks were at captain 21.3% of the time, which was a little bit higher than I would have anticipated. Um, the highest is running backs at 32.6%, wide receivers at 29.1%. Uh, occasionally, you'll get a defense at 8.5%, uh, tight end 7.1%, a kicker 1.4%. I have a really bad habit of recommending a, a kicker captain every once in a while. There was a Chris Boswell slate, and Jeff Jeff won't let me forget it, but I recommend uh, it, it. Everything else just fit so perfectly once you threw Boswell into the captain spot. So uh, I'm just going to eat that L every time. But I'll I'll notice that out of t two out of 134 DraftKings slates last year had a kicker in the in the winning uh, captain spot on MVP, for example, on FanDuel. By comparison, uh, quarterbacks were in the in the winning MVP slot. 41% uh, of the time. So uh, obviously a big, big difference. Running backs, 36.6%. Wide receiver, 17.9%. Tight end, 37 And kicker just once at 0.7%. So big, big difference between those two formats. You're certainly incentivized to use that quarterback over on FanDuel. And obviously it has has some impacts on on uniqueness, which I know is a, a big thing that that's important to you. So are you doing any other sort of strategies to keep things unique? I mean, I know a lot of players will just purposely keep their cash spend down and some things like that to, uh, to keep lineups unique because not many casual players feel very comfortable leaving $4,000 on the table. No, it's, you made a lot of good points there. So um, just drawing back to the quarterback captain slash MVP spot. Um, so 21% optimal lineup on DraftKings, a quarterback captain, but consider that the combined ownership of quarterbacks is way higher than 21%. Yeah. So how I look at DraftKings GPPs and like how all my research is developed is what is the field doing versus what is most likely to happen. And when we get those deltas between uh, what people are doing and what's supposed and what's actually optimal, that's where you find the leverage in your lineup construction. So that's a great point there. And then two, salary usage like you said i always have a saying you know if you're making a gpp lineup a high risk lineup and you like it then it's a bad lineup right you should never feel comfortable with your high risk lineup like the sammy watkins tyreek hill example earlier if i can play tyreek hill why the hell would i leave a thousand or two thousand dollars left over and play sammy watkins instead in a, in a normal environment but for me i'm very aggressive with salary usage um my super bowl 150 that i won the million i think my uh, my lowest salary left 7,500 left over. The winning lineup had 2,200 left over. And maybe that's extreme. 7,500 is probably pretty extreme. But again, I'm playing for end of range outcomes, right? When a game goes 40 points under the total, you can be damn sure I'm pro I probably have a shot to take down that showdown slate. Now, if it's a 60-point total and it's the Chiefs Rams from a few night uh, Monday nights ago and they put up 70 points, I'm probably not going to be in contention. But if the game has any sort of chaotic element, I'm probably going to be in contention. That makes so much sense. And, you know, it seems, it seems pretty obvious that, like, the more options that exist on slate, the more choices, then the more advantageous things are for, like, a skilled cash game player. 
you know, more choices, more opportunity to, to showcase that you're a better player than the other guy, right? So, but single game slates, they kind of wipe all that clean. Um, there's, and, and you add on to that, that there's not nine roster spots. There's five or six, depending on which site that you're playing on. So, you know, with something as volatile as Showdown, can you actually grind out a consistent ROI playing different contests? Like, I, I know you're not a cash game player, but can you make money playing cash on Showdown? Yeah, you definitely can. And again, it comes down to the point where the access to good projections has gotten a lot better, right? And if you just go play the big field double ups, you're gonna have a pretty tough time grinding out ROIs. And, you know, part of the, the approach we preach at Occupy Fantasy is not only just contest selection, but then looking at the opponents. Like it takes a long time to optimally choose contests. You have to grind through the lobby, look who's playing each contest. And believe me, you can find some really bad showdown lineups by finding head-to-heads, three-mans, ten-mans. Um, because, you know, your average double up in 50-50, the lineup's going to be pretty decent. But believe me, I've seen, at least, you know, our staff and our members who play low-risk contests will send me screenshots like, what the hell is this guy doing, my opponent? And you'll see guys putting kickers and captain, not to, not to, uh, to, not to call <laughs> you out. Just one time, man. <laughs> Never again. But, but you'll see, like, they'll, they won't put a quarterback, a captain on it, or MVP on FanDuel. They... Um, they won't use a 20 to 25 touch running back. There's an obvious value play. They won't use them. They'll use two defenses or something. Like there's all kinds of scenarios. So it's really about finding the right opponents. And in reality, you should be spending more time picking your contest than you do creating your lineups. Because if you have projections, you have a, a site you subscribe to, you have your own process, you can make a showdown lineup literally in like a minute. That makes sense. So if you wanted to be a, a cash game player, would you start by going and plucking off three mans with guys without experience badges or like, is that, is that, is that the ticket? Yeah, a thousand, a thousand percent. Yep. Just, I, I would go in and I know, you know, people have day jobs and maybe they can't do this, but if people are working more often from home now, maybe they can, but you know, let's say the showdown slate starts Thursday night. Okay. The, the slate opens up late Sunday night, early Monday morning. All right. I'm going to block off five minutes of my time five to 10 times per day. Let's just go through the lobby and let's see, oh shit, this one guy, sorry for cursing. This one guy has, uh, uh, there's a head to head and he has no experience badge and it's five bucks. Boom, let me take that. Uh, two days later, I find a couple three mans with inexperienced players or guys who I've never heard of before. Boom, I'll get in there. And maybe you only end up with three or four for the week, but those three or four are gonna be a lot more ROI friendly than if you're just playing the big double ups or just random head to heads. And so I would assume then that you would not feel comfortable posting uh, in, in the head-to-head lobby. You'd, you'd feel more comfortable plucking off action. I'm sure the, uh, the very high-stakes professionals would love for me to post head-to-heads. I won't be doing it. Um, and unless you can just severely limit who takes your head-to-heads, it's not the best way to do it. And I know a lot of people are going to say, be confident in your lineups. But again, we don't have to make this hard on ourselves. We can make DFS a lot easier than it already is. So. Yeah, and, and doing just that can impact your ROI pretty significantly, you know, because you're going to get plucked off by players better than you. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, speaking to the to the public at large. So, yeah, definitely go out and, and find your own games that way. I think that's a, that's an edge that not many people talk about. And, and that edge is not there. It's not consistent in playing a large field 50-50 or double up. It's a, it's a different environment um, altogether because yeah. you're going to you're going to get a sort of average a consensus uh cash line in that thing and sure there's gonna be some weak lineups in there but it's not going to impact your roi the same way that you know playing that weak lineup in a head-to-head would do and you know i used to think that there was no such thing as like fish at high stakes i didn't think that existed but uh like i was like you know i mean who's gonna post up at a thousand bucks and and take on somebody like you just have to have you'd have to be you know richie rich or blank check or whatever to be able to just post up at a thousand bucks and not have researched a lineup but the more i look at this this that's not true at all like money is such a relative thing to different people like what's 10 bucks to me might be a 100 bucks to you and and vice versa so uh, you never know um, th- there's not necessarily a true linear relationship between stakes and sharpness. So, you know, whatever you feel confident getting down, I'm sure at the $50 level, you can still find some people with, uh, you know, really bad lineups. And here's the best part about DraftKings, right? You don't even have to play these people to see what their lineups are. Once the slate starts, you just go back to the lobby, you click the view live contest link. You can see every single contest that's posted. And this should be part of your process too. go in. You know, a lot of people point out uh, Empire Maker, right? 
post, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per slate. You can literally see what his lineups look like and learn from them every single slate without ever having to play him. So let's say you're a, a 25, let's say your bankroll says you should be playing $25 head to heads, right? Go in the lobby and you'll start to see who's posting $25 head to heads pretty frequently. All right. Every slate, let's say player X posts $25 head to heads every time. All right. Is he good? I don't know. But before I risk my money, let's look at a couple slates, the, the slate locks. I go in, I see his lineup. Okay. This is a pretty bad lineup. Let's check again next week. Okay, this dude posted another pretty bad lineup. Maybe I should start taking his head-to-heads. So you can do a lot of the, the, the grunt work up front without even laying a dollar down to figure out who your opponent should be. Yeah, and determining whether he played a good or bad lineup can be an interesting you know, thing because you don't want to just look at the results. You want to look at like just the general thought process that got him yep. to that because that's the thing that's repetitive. You're like, oh, gosh, he – he doesn't even understand like how to how to optimize around this. Like he's he's trying to he's playing a GPP lineup in a in a cash contest, you know, yep. or, or something like that. So, yeah, definitely definitely want to look at that stuff. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about your thoughts on captain and MVP and what goes into that decisions. But you know, are there positions that you like try to shoehorn in there, or you just like love throwing a tight end in the captain or or anything like that? Or are you drawn towards more position some positions more than others? Uh, not necessarily. Um, it'll, it'll depend on the projected game scripts, projected ownership, but it's, it's really running backs and receivers that get the most love for me. Um, even on FanDuel, I'll go a little bit more running back heavy in MVP. DraftKings a little more wide receiver heavy on MVP, and that should be pretty obvious because of the, the scoring uh, systems. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, the slates are a little bit smaller on some of these other contests, but both FanDuel and DraftKings are they're now playing like I don't know, eight slates a week or something like that on showdown. Like you can get three one o'clock games on each side and two or three four o'clock games. And then obviously all the Island games, uh, depending on sort of how the schedule works out. But I know you're more comfortable with sort of the, the, the bigger prize uh, up top, but you know, how can a player take advantage of some of these afternoon contests? Do you think there's an edge there or do you think the field's sharper at some of the like less prime time type of games? I do think the field is sharper. Uh, you'll most of the time just see uh, the professionals and some of the high dollar players just playing these every single slate type of things. But again, it comes down to your comfortability, um, your awareness of your results. Let's just say you're not a good classic NFL player, right? Your lineup, you're, you're not profitable. You don't make good lineups, but you're pretty good at showdown. Okay. Let's just start looking at the showdown slates each week. And okay. Thursdays and eh, it's kind of okay. There's two one o'clock games. I don't really like how last work, but there's one one o'clock game where I think I have a really good edge and and GPPs. I can really make a solid cash game lineup. All right, let's start playing that. There's no one says you have to play the main slate, right? Like you can you a dollar made on Showdown is the same as a dollar made on Main is the same as a dollar made in League of Legends. It doesn't matter what it is. If you make dollars, you're making dollars. So I wouldn't try to shoehorn yourself into only playing a certain type of slate. Just just keep an open mind. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think one thing that's appealing to me about playing every single showdown slate that's available is realizing a true ROI over the course of a season. Like, because I mean, you, if you're, if you're swinging at those top prizes, you got what, 17? Well, I guess really a couple times a week, you you got maybe 30, 50 chances at taking down a big, big prize to neutralize and overcome the losses that you've had for the year. And you can have a full losing season and be a great, great player. Like that's possible, uh, but possibly you, you can mitigate that by playing more and more slates. Now, obviously the, the prize structures are very different. So just because you won the one o'clock, you know, Titans Jags game, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it, it probably just covers your entry fees for the next three slates or something like that. But it, you know, it's not nothing. And you probably didn't have to 150 max. A lot of those are more like 53 max or something like that. Um, to be able to max enter those tournaments. But uh, what do you think about just, you know, it's just law of large numbers, right? The, the, more, the more you play, the more of a true ROI you're going to understand how good of a player are you at those slates. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, you, you realize your true ROI a lot quicker. And if you think you have an edge, it's, it's compounding interest, right? You, the more money you can get into these slates where you think you have an edge, the more you should be playing. So, um, it, and a lot of this, this particular session and what we talked about, you know, for the last 30 minutes or so, it really ties back into record keeping and looking at your play and where you're good. Like all the top players I know, all the profitable players I know really keep 
intricate records and look at where they excel. And even if you're playing $1 head to heads, you should still be keeping track of how you do because you need to know where to put your money. If you look, a lot of people will be surprised if they had accurate records, records and look back over the past year. Wow. I lost 20% in head to heads in MLB. I thought I was a really good MLB player or wow, I, I never thought about playing more 20 mans, but I had a 20% ROI in those last year. So being aware of what you're good at, even if it's not what you think you're good at, is incredibly important. Yeah, for sure. All of that and tracking results, you, you can't, I mean, you can't overrate that at all. That's a very, very important part of just playing DFS in general is, is, is learning what, where your skills lie. So um, talk us through a little bit. I don't, I didn't ask you about this beforehand, but talk through us a little bit about you have a losing night, you know, things didn't go your way. You certainly didn't win, but are you having nights where you're losing all 150? So obviously you've got $1,500 out there if you're playing the $10, 150 max. So are you losing $1,500 on that night or more than likely you're min cashing a few, maybe you had one that just went on a heater and finished in 18th place and still cashed out really well. But like, so what does a losing night look like? You know, what's kind of the range of outcomes there? Well, I have plenty of examples to draw from. So, um, yeah. So for me, because I'm more based on uniqueness, I'm not okay with a 10 or 100 way tie for showdown. Um, naturally, my approach is way more high risk. I understand a lot of people don't have the stomach to, to, to play that high risk. So for me, this is going to sound crazy. I know you just listened to me talk about all the strategy. And you're going to say, why am I even listening to this guy? But I legit lose like 90% of DFS slates. And that's not even an exaggeration. Subscribe to Occupy. Yeah, yeah. And you too can lose <laughs> nine out of every 10 slates. Yeah. For me, for me personally, because I play so high risk and, you know, a min cash and GPP isn't what I'm aiming for. Honestly, 80 to 90% of slates I'm losing. And that may range from, you know, getting a hundred or $200 back on my $1,500 investment, or maybe it's only losing a couple hundred bucks, but really it's, Lose, 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 massive win, lose, lose, lose. And honestly, my cycle, because, you know, we should talk about the mental aspect of this. For me, it's more like, okay, I hit big. I now think I'm the greatest player in the world. No one's better than me. And then I lose. I'm like, ah, this is dumb variance. I can't believe this. Then it gets to the point. It's like, okay, now it's 20 losses in a row. Am I even good at DFS anymore? What is going on? And then I hit a big win. I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm the best that's ever lived. And it's that cycle for eternity. Yeah. So being able to just, you know, take a step back and realize what should be happening, what possible outcomes there are, um, is so incredibly important. Yeah, and the way I look at it is like every loss just gets me that much closer to the next win. And every win just means like, okay, I'm staring down the barrel of 20 or 30 losing slates. But yeah. like, so on a given losing slate, are you like, how much of your 1500 are you getting back in prizes? Like zero? Or do you no, have zero very rarely zero. Um, you know, most of the time, my floor is like 10 to 20% return mm -hmm. of my investment. So if I, if I risk 1500, I'll get back 150, 300 is a floor. On average, it's like a 40 to 50% return. So I risk 1500 back, I'll get 750 back. Um, very rarely will I fall in the range of breaking even. Um, and then it's the, the really big wins. That's really what it comes down to. And, and how often are you having like moderately profitable nights? Like you made 800 bucks, rarely? Yeah, like 5% of the time maybe. Yeah. yeah, just because of the top heavy nature of these contests, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I, this is what I'm signing up for. Like me getting fifth isn't going to do a lot. I have to get first or my, my strategy, my personal strategy is not going to work. For sure. Now, have you experimented with in-game showdown at all? Like I'm, I'm fascinated right this second with in-game showdown. I, like I want to be the in-game showdown guy. You see heavy Chevy JF in the lobby, you turn around and run because, yeah, you don't want my action. So like, and that's exploded. That started, I think, not this past Super Bowl, but the one before they started with second half and then fourth quarter showdown contest. Uh, both sites have this now and the prizes are growing, growing, growing. Obviously showdown becoming super, super popular. The in game showdown is growing too, because what happens is you, you enter all these dead lineups at, at eight 30. And then by nine o'clock you realize, Oh man, I'm toast. Uh, I didn't have, I didn't have uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling who just caught that touchdown. And I'm, 
have no chance. And so you, you head over to the second half lobby and you enter three more contests and, and it costs you 60 bucks and you're like, okay, let's, uh, let's do this. This is the time, one time. So are you doing any of this showdown? Like I think the action's gotta be super soft because everybody's just watching Monday Night Football, keying it on on their phone, you know, after four or five beers. Like I like that, that, that sounds good to me. I want to be playing against those guys and you can get a large number of max enters like you can you can 50 max some of these so if you've been doing your homework and you've got a laptop up i can do my dave gettleman here but if you've got that ready to go and and your lineups are ready to go because you know the salaries ahead of time um then you can have a really massive edge and if you understand sort of how second halves and how fourth quarters work i really like that i think that's really enticing Oh, dude. Yeah. Um, I personally don't play again. It comes down to the, just the time investment thing for me, but th there's a massive edge for it and, and really showdown in general. And now just even more explicitly second half and fourth quarter is, is perfect for the casual fan. I mean, that's why DraftKings and FanDuel made these that they want to appeal to the more casual player. And instead of having to do research for an entire slate, I only have to look at one game. Wow. I already watched one half of this game. I know what's going to happen in the second half. Now I can jump into a second half. So it makes a ton of sense from the site's perspective. And because of that, like you said, you do get a lot of casual players playing. So, um, Really, it comes down to uh, knowing the projected game script for the second half. And um, I don't know if we'll ever see these slates again. Fingers crossed we do. But preseason, especially in the Pro Bowl, this is like a very degenerate statement. But if you play in-game Pro Bowl or preseason, uh, the edge is through the roof. Just knowing the actual playing time, because you'll get guys – making lineups who have guys who have no chance of seeing the field in the third and fourth quarter, whether it's pro bowl or, or a preseason. And I mean, you can make an entire season's worth of bankroll in those types of contests. Hmm. I have to keep an eye on that. I'd never considered that angle. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look at that. But um, how would you describe the strength of the field in general for showdown? Like, is it sharp players, recreational players? Is it there? I'm assuming you feel like there's enough recreational players where the sharp players are not just all battling each other. No, and I mean, I'm not going to name any names here, but like even the sharp players aren't that good. Like some of them are playing kickers in the captain spot. Uh, yeah, who, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who would do that, but there are some out there that do that. But honestly, I mean, some like literally top pros that you go to the Rotor Grinders ranking, you see. I mean, some of these guys have embarrassingly bad uniqueness percentages, um, con lineup constructions, and showdown. Um, so for me, that that's encouraging. It's like wow, the edge is still there. The casual fan has gotten a little bit better. There's a lot more showdown content out there, uh, a lot more uh, tools out there to use, but the edge still remains. When my uniqueness percentage remained relatively consistent throughout 2019, I'm still thinking, wow, okay, I still have an edge. Now I'm going to monitor that this year. But again, I still think it comes down to the question. Like most people aren't comfortable leaving a ton of salary, mo aren't comfortable um, thinking about these chaotic situations, wide ranges of outcomes. So I think in, in general, it's always going to be there. But the fact that pros really haven't caught on as much um, is what leads me to believe that the edge is going to remain for a while. Do you do anything other like, – do you ever leave zero salary on the table? Do you ever spend all the money, but you're like, well, it's going to be unique because – I mean, nobody's playing this third string tight end, but if he catches the touchdown at the one yard line, like, you know, he's, he's in there or something like that. No. Cause even if you think that and it happens, it's still duped somehow. I don't, I don't, I don't know who this else is thinking that way, but it happens. Uh, no, I have a very strict salary ceiling. Um, I'm, I'm never going to get close to the 50 K or 35 K, whatever is on FanDuel. So. That makes sense. Well, Brian, this has been awesome. I appreciate you giving us a peek behind the curtain into your process. Uh, tell us all, you know, where you're at and what you're working on and anything else you want to plug. For sure. Yeah. So OccupyFantasy.com. If you liked a lot of the stuff I talked about today, the way I think about DFS, uh, the first thing I did when I started Occupy Fantasy was writing a DFS ebook. It's 19 chapters and it lays out all these fundamentals, contest selection, bankroll management, lineup strategies that the industry just doesn't think about. And I, I lay all that out in the ebook. It's called the ultimate guide, occupyfantasy.com. Go check that out. Um, if you, like I said, if you liked what I talked about today, you'll love that. And I'm actually in the process. I need to actually sit down and do it, but finishing an NFL showdown guide uh, talks about percentages from last year, lineup construction, uniqueness, contest to target, things like that. Uh, aiming to have that out before the first slate of the NFL season. Um, and again, Occupy Fantasy, whether it's at Occupy Fantasy on Twitter, OccupyFantasy.com, you, you can be notified when that's available. Very cool. Sounds very familiar, man. Well, I appreciate you joining us. And uh, 
Everybody fi- follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Jester FF. Uh, thanks for the time, Brian. We'll check you out here soon. Appreciate it, Justin. Thank you. Would I lie to you? I told you Brian Jester knows his stuff when it comes to GPP showdowns. Many shout outs to Brian and Occupy Fantasy. Really appreciate what he's putting out there into the content world. I hope you guys have enjoyed talking about DFS showdown. Like it's a really interesting topic to me. I think there's a lot of uh, uncharted territory, so to speak, a lot of ground that we can cover and uh, couldn't ask for a better second guest. I've got Michael Leone coming on the show tomorrow. He and I are going to talk simulations and game theory. Uh, It's going to be some really cool nerding out between the two of us. So I hope you enjoyed that and uh, we'll subscribe. There's a number of different places you can can subscribe. You can do that on your podcast feed. Be sure to give us five stars and uh, give us a review. That's how we're going to climb and reach more people. And I would personally really appreciate that. It takes a lot of time to do this. So appreciate the five star ratings. Also visit us over on YouTube. You can search for the Captain Spot. And uh, be sure to subscribe there. You'll get notifications when we go live. I'm planning some in-game showdown contest uh, live broadcast. So we can be going over our second half lineups together. And if you want to be notified when those are coming, be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, If you're confused about where to find all this stuff, go to CaptainSpot.com. CPTSpot.com. And there you'll find out everything you need to know for the show, where to access it, where to get the podcast feed, where to go on YouTube everything you need right there in one spot. We also got some really cool offers up there. We've got a, uh, I've got a special project I'm working on right now. I wanted to bring you guys in on, I'm in the middle of an ebook and I'm kind of telling you right now so that I'll actually finish this thing and create some accountability for myself. So uh, I'm, I'm about halfway there. I've got about another solid week of writing, but uh, all the research is, is in the barn at this point. So. Uh, Really excited to release that here soon, so I'll have more information on that. But I've got some great offers at Prize Picks, Monkey Knife Fight, Thrive Fantasy over on the website, CaptainSpot.com. Go there, check it out, and you'll see some of the cool offers that we've got there. Uh, and stay tuned for more information on the book. It's going to be like the ultimate guide for playing Showdown DFS. And uh, you know, some of these interviews I'm doing are greatly helping with that. So appreciate Brian once again, and stay tuned tomorrow where we'll have on Mike Leone. Appreciate it, guys. See ya.